Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, my fellow believers, and welcome back to the Combat Bets podcast on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron. Welcome to episode number 11 of Combat Bets. I'd like to start out this episode by recapping the past few uh UFC events that we've been privileged to during this time where there haven't really been a lot of sports on TV. Luckily, we've got the UFC back, and recently Bundesliga started up their season. This past Tuesday, we were treated to a big match between Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. Felt like the first time there was a big game on live on TV in a while. And uh, getting on and back to the fights... I'd like to start by uh, recapping UFC 249. It really was a stacked card. Some surprising results, somewhat some questionable stoppages by the referees. Let's get into it. I'm going to go ahead and start with the third fight on the card from uh, UFC 249. That was a heavyweight matchup between the beast, a behemoth of a man, in Francis Francis Ngannou against a fellow African in uh, Jarzinho Rosenstrike. And you look at the total strikes for this fight, it didn't last very long. It only took Ngannou all of 20 seconds to get Rosenstrike out of there. And if you were watching the beginning of the fight, Rosenstrike was trying to keep Ngannou on the outside by using kicks and uh, trying to keep the distance. But then Ngannou was, had enough of it and came forward swinging wildly. He missed on his first three punches, but he landed the fourth. And that's all it took with Ngannou. All it takes is one punch and your lights are out. And that's what we saw. We saw Rosenstrike's body go lifeless. And this was really quite the statement from Ngannou to make because prior to this fight, Rosenstrike uh, was undefeated with uh, 10 wins and 9 of those wins coming by knockout. So the fact that Ngannou was able to get him out of there uh, in only 20 seconds really shows how much he's improved since his previous losses, both unanimous decision losses to uh, Derek Lewis and Stipe Miocic. It seems like he's really learned from those mistakes, how to be more active in there, and how to uh, finish opponents more effectively. However, the one thing that really wasn't tested was Ngannou's stamina, and that's going to remain a question until we see him go some rounds in a fight and see if he can keep up his stamina, keep up that great energy he had early on in the fight, because we've seen it against the Derek uh, the fight against Derek Lewis and then against Stipe Miocic, we really saw that Ngannou did not have the stamina to push the pace and uh, keep the pressure on his opponents. So Ngannou's stamina will remain a question until he can prove that he has improved in that area of the fight game. But for me, Ngannou should be fighting for the title next either against Stipe Miocic or Daniel Cormier if Stipe is unable to defend his title. So we'll see if that fight happens. But if I'm a heavyweight in the UFC, do I really want to fight Ngannou right now? The guy looks like an absolute monster. And if uh, his opponents aren't able to get him into the later rounds, then most likely he's just going to get another first-round knockout. As for his opponent, Rosenstrike. 
he still has a lot of potential and still carries great power. I mean, both Nganu and Rosenstrikes have uh, great power, and that's always been a strength in their game. So I'd love to see Rosenstrike maybe fight Junior Dos Santos next, see how he does against that type of competition. And as I said before, Nganu should be fighting for the title next, no question. And during the end of the fight, when you see Nganu just come forward like a madman swinging his punches wildly, I mean, that really puts the fear in most fighters, I would think. So we'll see where his career goes from here. But there's no question Nganu added to his legend with a great performance at UFC 249. Now moving on from that fight to the co-main event, we had a bantamweight title between Henry Cejudo and Dominic Cruz. The fight started pretty calmly, but then you could see Henry Cejudo slowly gaining an advantage as he was throwing those big leg kicks that really seemed to be affecting Cruz. And then you look at the stats for this fight. Uh, Cejudo landed 56 out of 86 strikes, while Cruz only landed 33 out of 81 strikes. So you can see that uh, Cejudo was obviously the more accurate and more effective striker. And then you look at the amount of strikes that he landed to the leg. Cejudo landed 23 out of 25 leg strikes. That's quite a lot for only a two-round fight. And then uh, Cruz was only able to land 10 out of 12 leg strikes. So you could see he was not nearly as effective. And then in the second round, we saw there was an accidental headbutt that opened up a cut on Cejudo. And that just seemed to liven up this little guy more as he came out with a flying knee that put Cruz on the mat. But he was by no means unconscious. He was still aware of his faculties. And just as Cruz was getting up, literally at the end of the round, the last seconds of the second round, the referee stops the fight. Now, I would have liked to see Cruz fight on, see if he could have recovered and improved in the later rounds. Unfortunately, we never got that chance. And this referee, Keith Peterson, Cruz had some choice words for him in the post-fight interview, saying he smelled like cigarettes and alcohol and that he didn't think he was fit to be refereeing that fight. And then you watched earlier on in the card, in the fight with Donald Cerrone against Anthony Pettis, Keith Peterson was also a referee for that fight. And you could see Donald Cerrone complaining about an eye poke, but the ref did nothing to stop the fight and let Anthony Pettis continue to punch Cerrone. I thought Cerrone should have been allowed the time to recover from the eye poke and for Keith Peterson not to see that and then later on in the card in the co-main event you have him messing up the fight by getting an early stoppage just as Cruz was getting back up to his feet to finish off the round. Very unfortunate, very unfortunate stoppage. And then to add to the madness of this fight, you had Henry Cejudo retiring after after the fight. And effectively, he's a double champion at 125 pounds and 135 pounds at bantamweight, which was what this uh, fight was at. So it's just a questionable decision to me. And I think what Cejudo really is after is more money for each fight. He felt that Dana White and the UFC weren't paying him enough, and he... Maybe he just had enough and he wanted to retire on top. 
but I doubt that Cejudo remains retired. I expect to see him back in the octagon, maybe not in 2020, but perhaps uh, the year after that. We'll see how long his retirement lasts, as I believe he's only 33 years old, so while old, not too old to continue fighting. And then for Dominic Cruz, while he did lose, it was a controversial stoppage, and most uh, ringside observers agree that the fight could have been uh, continued. So by no means did Cruz have a great showing of himself, but he didn't have a terrible showing either. And I'd like to see him get right back in there and fight another top bantamweight. I know that Cody Garbrandt has a fight coming up, at UFC 250 so he ha- if he has a good showing there I'd love to see a rematch between Dominic Cruz and Cody Garbrandt see if he c- if Dominic Cruz can show himself better in that rematch and if not maybe this is the end of the career for not only Cejudo but also for Cruz two absolute uh, legends in this sport and Cejudo really came on strong there at the end after beating Demetrius Johnson it just seems like he was a different fighter and you got to give him a lot of credit for what he was able to accomplish in his career in a short amount of time and although I never personally really liked the guy that was part of his appeal that you watched him to see him lose and that's why I was watching the fight against Dominic Cruz I was hoping that Cruz could put pull a rabbit out of a hat perhaps go back in time a little bit show those great flashes he had earlier on in his career and beat Cejudo unfortunately the fight did not go that way and uh, we'll see what happens in the bantamweight division which is now suddenly even more wide open now that Cejudo has a sudden retirement that he announced so we'll see what happens with the future of the 125 and 135 pound divisions and if we recall a few months ago February 29th in the main event we had Joseph Benavides taking on a Brazilian fighter in Devinson Figueiredo and that fight would have been for the interim flyweight title at 125 pounds however the winner Figueiredo did not make weight so that fight was null and he is not actually the champion right now but maybe in a rematch Figueiredo would become the champion at 125 pounds that remains to be seen and then at 135 pounds I believe they announced that uh, I believe it was Peter Yan taking on Aljamain Sterling for the uh, 135-pound undisputed title. So we'll see who wins that fight. Right now, it remains to be seen what will happen with these two lower weight classes. And I'm excited to see if some new names emerge or perhaps some old ones can reemerge like TJ Dillashaw and like Cody Garbrandt. And we'll see where Dominic Cruz goes from here because I definitely don't want to see that guy stop fighting. He's one of the best to ever do it. Arguably the greatest bantamweight of all time. He beat Demetrius Johnson. I mean, this guy's unbelievable and his unorthodox lateral side-to-side movement is something that no one in the sport besides him really has. And I love to see it whenever we do get a privilege to see Cruz fight. And I hope... This is not the end for him. Now moving on to the main event of the UFC 249, which was on May 9th. We had Justin Gaethje taking on Tony Ferguson for the interim lightweight title at 155 pounds. Of course, it was scheduled at least, I believe, five times before for Tony Ferguson 
to fight the lightweight champ, Khabib Nurmagomedov, but each and every time that fight has fallen through, either because of injury to one fighter or the other, or because of some other reason. And this time it was because of the coronavirus situation, and Khabib could not travel from his native Russia over to Jacksonville to fight Tony Ferguson because of the traveler's restrictions. But despite that, Justin Gaethje took full advantage of the opportunity and did not see this as a coronation for Tony Ferguson, as a tune-up fight for him, as I saw. I thought Tony Ferguson was going to be the better boxer in there. He had the reach advantage. He most likely also had the stamina advantage. And I thought he had better boxing fundamentals than his opponent, Justin Gaethje. But this just shows you in the fight game, you never really know until the two guys get in there and duke it out. And boy, was I proven wrong. Let me tell you the stats for this fight before I get into some more analysis. Tony Ferguson landed 136 out of 296 total strikes. His opponent landed 147 out of 197 total strikes. That is very efficient work. 147, I mean, excuse me, 143 out of 197. That's a very high connect rate. And then you look at Tony Ferguson, only 136 out of 296. So really landing less than half of his strikes. Meanwhile, Justin Gaethje is landing at maybe an 80% clip. I mean, there's really no comparison. And then you look at the total head strikes. Ferguson landed 64 out of 212. Justin Gaethje landed 100 out of 153 head strikes. Very efficient. And then you look at the body strikes. 36 out of 43 for Ferguson. 13 out of 14 for Gaethje. And then the leg strikes. 36 out of 41 for Tony Ferguson. And 30 out of 30 for Justin Gaethje. These numbers just show you that Justin Gaethje was the much more accurate, the much more efficient, the much more effective striker in there. And he was really able to lay some great fundamentals on Tony Ferguson, some great one-twos that really had him backed up. Every time you thought that maybe Ferguson could gain a rhythm, maybe get a foothold in this fight, Gaethje would come back and wake him right back up with a quick one-two that would stagger him back. And I could not believe the inhuman, supernatural chin on this guy, Tony Ferguson. I mean, he took so many punches that would have had most guys knocked out much before when the stoppage came, which came at the end of the fifth round. And fortunately, Ferguson couldn't make it out of the fight. Really, his only good moment was at the end of the second round, where he caught Gaethje clean with a beautiful uppercut. And in the post-fight interview, Gaethje said that really rocked him, that he, he didn't even really remember what happened or when the punch punch landed. So you could really tell that did some damage to Gaethje, but he was able to recover and come back and be the better fighter for a majority of the fight and just lay a real beating on Tony Ferguson, something we had never really be- before seen done to Ferguson. Someone just laid the smackdown on him. 
and not from a wrestling perspective, but from a striking and boxing point of view. Now moving on from this fight and looking ahead to the potential and most likely lightweight title matchup between Justin Gaethje and Khabib Nurmagomedov. Now, I've said this before, Khabib's wrestling and grappling skills are unlike something the UFC has ever seen before. Completely unique to what this guy does. Nobody else is in the same class as him in terms of grappling and wrestling. While Justin Gaethje is an accomplished wrestler and perhaps could hold his own on the mat, I think that Khabib would just overwhelm him with his pressure and with his wrestling fluidity. And really the only chance for Gaethje would perhaps to catch him on the feet. But I don't know if that would happen because each fight it seems like Khabib's striking is getting better and better. And while Gaethje is a very strong boxer, Khabib always has his wrestling to fall back on. And there's really no other fighter like him in the sport, no other champion like him in the sport. So we'll see if that fight does happen between Gaethje and Khabib. Right now my pick would still be going with Khabib. But Gaethje absolutely showed against Ferguson that he could fight anyone on any day and beat anyone. And for Ferguson, we'll see where his career goes from here. Unfortunately, this was a setback for him and he's not getting any younger. So this could be his last crack at the title. Very sad for a man that was supposed to fight Khabib so many times before and now may never get that chance. But if... Gaethje and Khabib are going to fight for the title next. Guess who Tony Ferguson could fight next? Perhaps the biggest star in the UFC? That's right, Conor McGregor against Tony Ferguson. I know Tony Ferguson doesn't respect McGregor, and I think that banter would really help promote the fight. And could you imagine that lightweight matchup along with Khabib fighting Gaethje. I mean, does it really get any better than that for fight fans? Seeing Connor take on Ferguson, and then, you know, maybe in the main event, we see Khabib taking on Gaethje. It would be unbelievable, and hopefully the UFC can make that happen and really breathe some more life into that lightweight division, which is probably the strongest division in all of the UFC from top to bottom. So, just to recap UFC 249, we got a clear picture of where the heavyweight title stands with an unbelievable and great performance from Francis Ngannou, a first first round knockout, only 20 seconds. It took him over Rosenstrike, and then we got a less clear picture of what happens with the bantamweight and the flyweight divisions 125 and 135 pounds with the surprising retirement of Henry Cejudo and then 155 pounds the lightweight division we got a much clearer picture of who should fight Khabib for the title next and that man is without a doubt Justin Gaethje now moving on from that great stacked card let me uh, go to the fight that happened on May 13th And that was a light heavyweight main event between two fighters that have fought John Jones for the title before. However, they both lost to him. And I'm talking about Anthony Smith taking on Glover Teixeira. And that was the light heavyweight main event. Early on in this fight, 
It looked like it was going to be Anthony Smith's night as he was landing more strikes and really getting the better of Teixeira. But after the first round, it was really all downhill for Anthony Smith as it looked like he didn't have the stamina or the pace to keep up with the pressure and the boxing fundamentals that Teixeira was displaying and ended up getting the better of him in a fight that he came in the underdog as did uh, Glover Teixeira. And looking at the total strikes for this fight, Smith only landed 87 out of 212 total strikes, while Teixeira landed 202 out of 297 total strikes. So that means he was obviously landing a lot more strikes on Smith than Smith was landing on Teixeira. And then you look at the control time in, in wrestling, Teixeira had had 7 minutes and 50 seconds of ground control time, while Smith only had 7 seconds. So really what was going on in, in this fight was that Smith just looks looked absolutely gassed, like he didn't even want to be in there, didn't want to continue fighting, and Teixeira would just punch him a little bit and then go for a takedown. Smith's tired body would just fall over and basically Glover Teixeira would just ground and pound on him until the end of the round and it took five rounds for the ref to finally stop the fight at uh, a minute into the fifth round. To me this fight could have been stopped in the third round, in the fourth round. There was really no need for Smith to continue to take a beating and then you hear him say to his corner, my teeth are falling out. That doesn't sound like a guy that wants to continue fighting. And sometimes you just got to save the fighter from himself. And that's what I thought the corner should have done uh, to look out better for Anthony Smith's uh, long-term health. And for Glover Teixeira, it looked like he turned back the clock a little bit. As he's not getting any younger, he's already 40 years old. So we'll really see how serious of a threat Glover Teixeira actually is in the light heavyweight division. But against Anthony Smith, it was really the teacher taking the student to school. Obviously, in this case, Glover Teixeira was the teacher, Anthony Smith the student, and he got absolutely embarrassed out there. And Glover Teixeira just showed he was a better wrestler, a better boxer, had more stamina, despite being the older man. It'll be interesting to see where these two fighters go on from here in their careers. For Anthony Smith, maybe he could take on Corey Anderson, perhaps. And then for Glover Teixeira, he could fight against Jan Blachowicz, a Polish light heavyweight that's coming off a knockout win over Corey Anderson. That would be interesting to see. But the reality is that both Clover Teixeira and Anthony Smith have already fought John Jones and lost to him in their title fights. So it's unlikely that they get another title shot. But anything can happen. And if Clover Teixeira puts on a great performance in his next fight, and if Anthony Smith can redeem himself, then by no means can we count them out. Uh, count them out in the light heavyweight division but until John Jones retires it seems like no one can really beat him and for me Jones is coming off some questionable decision wins against 
first against Thiago Santos and then followed up by Dominic Reyes. I believe that both those fights could have gone to his opponents in Santos and Reyes. However, perhaps the legend of John Jones and his legacy could have convinced the judges to make maybe give him uh, some decisions he didn't deserve, but Jones still did enough to win those fights, and for now, he's still the light heavyweight champion, and I don't think a guy like Anthony Smith or Glover Teixeira could actually beat him, but for Teixeira, it was a great performance for him, one that really elevated his career, gave him some redemption, and this 40-year-old fighter is not done yet. He's still got a lot of fight in him, and he's one of the fundamentally best fighters in the all of the UFC. I love watching Glover Teixeira fight because he has great boxing fundamentals. He's got great position when he wrestles, and you saw that, how he absolutely dominated Anthony Smith as Smith could not get back up to his feet because of Teixeira's wrestling skills. So I love to see these older fighters like Damian Maya that have just honed their skills to such a level that against most opponents, they're going to be able to beat them because of their experience and their fundamentals. And that's what we see every time Glover Teixeira steps in that octagon. And it was great to see him have a vintage performance against Anthony Smith. And then, of course, for Smith, it remains to be seen where he goes from here. But that was a very disappointing performance in the main event and something that he really did not need if he wanted to push his career forward and try to get a rematch with uh, Jones, John Jones once again. Moving on from that main event, which was on May 13th, I'll jump to the main event that was on May 16th between Alistair Overeem and Walt Harris. It was a heavyweight main event. And you had Alistair Overeem winning by KO-TKO round number two, three minutes into the round. And early on in this fight, it looked like Walt Harris was going to have a great comeback story after the tragic, tragic murder of his uh, stepdaughter, Anaya Blanchard. However, the script did not go to plan and Alistair Overeem was able to take full advantage of his opportunity and win the fight even though he came in as a slight underdog against the favorite in uh, Walt Harris. And you look at the total strikes for this fight, Alistair Overeem landed 97 out of 115 total strikes while Walt Harris only landed 25 out of 48 total strikes. So you could see that Overeem had the striking advantage and then you look at the control time with uh, wrestling Overeem had 4 minutes and 22 seconds of control time while Walt Harris only had 47 seconds and what really happened during this fight is that early on it looked like Walt Harris was going to get a first round knockout he landed some big punches on Overeem and the the fight definitely could have been stopped but ultimately it wasn't, and Overeem was able to recover. He was able to use his wrestling beautifully, and he caught Walt Harris in a very compromised position where he had one of Walt Harris's hands trapped, and 
Overeem was holding it, and then with his other hand, he was punching Harris, and Harris couldn't defend because one of his arms was being held down by Overeem. This just showed me that Overeem had the better wrestling fundamentals, and he was able to withstand that big flurry that came in the opening minutes of the fight, and despite Walt Harris's best attempts to get Alistair Overeem out of there, he just couldn't, and Overeem was able to recover beautifully, and he was able to get in a better position where he was in control and was able to get the better of Walt Harris, who just did not have the wrestling fundamentals or the stamina to really fight back once uh, Overeem took control of the fight. And the end came in the second round after Overeem landed some ground and pound after he uh, took Walt Harris down, and that spelled the end of the fight. And now for Alistair Overeem, all of a sudden, maybe he's right back in the title picture in the heavyweight division, but he still has to prove himself after some losses to uh, Jarzinho Rosenstrike in his last fight and then some other disappointing results that he's had before. But if this truly is a redemption for Alistair Overeem, then perhaps he can show why he is an elite heavyweight once again. But that really remains to be seen after getting knocked out by both Francis Ngannou and by Jarzinho Rosenstrike. And for Walt Harris, he really has to go back to the drawing board look at the weaknesses he still has in his fight game and see if he can improve those because there's no doubt that Walt Harris has some of the scariest power in the heavyweight division and has some explosive first round knockouts but if he can't shore up the rest of his game his wrestling his stamina his boxing acumen then he's really going to have no place fighting the elites in the heavyweight division and he showed that against a guy that was thought of to be less than elite in Alistair Overeem so he's really got to look at himself and see if he can indeed make those improvements and for Alistair Overeem it'll be interesting to see who he gets matched up against and where his career goes from here but in both the main event on May 13th with Glover Teixeira taking on Anthony Smith and then in the main event on May 16th between Alistair Overeem and Walt Harris we kind of had the same theme permeating throughout both fights I thought which was really the teacher taking the younger fighter the student to school and this theme played itself out in both fights with the older fighter being victorious both times in Glover Teixeira absolutely dominating Anthony Smith and then Alistair Overeem getting Walt Harris out of there in only two rounds. Very impressive performance by both underdog fighters, both older fighters that have been around the fight game a lot longer than their opponents and they showed that experience matters and that fundamentals and stamina matters and that's really what I learned by watching both Glover Teixeira and Alistair Overeem put on absolute vintage performances that they really needed to push their career forward 
against two guys that were thought of to be up and coming in their divisions in Anthony Smith and Walt Harris. But that just shows you, you don't really know what's going to happen until the two guys get in the octagon and battle it out. And that's why I love this sport, and that's why I'm sure all you fight fans also love this sport. Moving on from the recaps and into a preview of the upcoming fight this weekend on uh, May 30th, this Saturday, we have UFC Fight Night Woodley versus Burns, and it's from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Of course, no fans will be allowed. Main card starts on ESPN and ESPN Plus at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. And then the prelims start at 3 p.m. Pacific time on ESPN and ESPN+. And in the main event, we have the former welterweight champion at 170 pounds in Tyron Woodley. Taking on an up-and-coming fighter in Gilbert Burns. It should be an interesting welterweight fight. And we'll see if Tyron Woodley still has those elite qualities that made him a champion for so long. Woodley has a record of 19-4 with one draw and four losses. And he is 38 years old, 5'9", 170 pounds with a 74-inch reach. And his opponent, Gilbert Burns, is 18-3 with three losses. And he's 5'10", 170 pounds, 33 years old with a 71-inch reach. So going into the fight, Tyron Woodley has a slight reach advantage. And looking at Woodley's record, he's definitely fought the lead in the sport and beat them. Since losing to Rory McDonald by unanimous decision, and that was back in 2014, Woodley went on to beat Dun Hyung Kim by KO, then Kevin Gastelum by split decision, Robbie Lawler by uh, KO punches, then a majority draw with Stephen Thompson, then a majority decision win over Stephen Thompson in their rematch, and then a unanimous decision win over the great wrestler in Damian Maya, and after that, a submission D'Arce choke win over Darren Till. And unfortunately, Woodley's most recent fight came against Kamaro Usman, and that was a unanimous decision loss in which he lost his welterweight title to Usman, a Nigerian fighter who is still the champion. Usman defended and beat Colby Covington to retain his welterweight title, so it'll be interesting to see who Usman fights next. He says he wants to either take on Jorge Masvidal or Conor McGregor next. So we'll see if he gets his wish because that would be a huge fight. Either way, either opponent he goes with. And for Woodley, he really needs some redemption. He really needs to prove that he's still an elite fighter. And he can do that against an up-and-coming dangerous striker and wrestler in the Brazilian Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns' last loss came against Dan Hooker, and that was back in July of 2018. It was a KO loss, and then since then, he's gone on to beat Olivier Aubin Mercier, then Mike Davis by submission rear naked choke, then Alexei 
Kunchenko by unanimous decision. Then he beat Gunnar Nelson by unanimous decision. And in his most recent fight, he took on the legend in Damian Maya and beat him by TKO punches in the first round. And against Damian Maya, it was clear that Maya just wanted to get a takedown and see if he could work on some advantages from the mat. However, Burns had other plans and was able to land a beautiful left hook that put Maya down, followed up by a few punches on the ground, and the fight was over. And Gilbert Burns showed his explosive striking ability and that he is ready for bigger and better challenges. And Tyron Woodley represents exactly that. The biggest challenge that Gilbert Burns has ever uh, faced in his career, and it's in the main event slot, a big fight against the former champion in Tyron Woodley. And Woodley is a guy that doesn't like to lose, only most recently losing to Kamaro, Kamaro Usman. And he really lost that fight because of Usman's stronger wrestling abilities, his overall size. He just seemed like the bigger fighter in there against Tyron Woodley. And Woodley could never really, really gain an advantage, either in striking or in wrestling against Kamaro Usman and it really was quite the impressive performance by Usman to take the title from a guy that had had it since 2016. So hopefully Woodley has learned from the mistakes he made in his fight against Usman where he didn't really seem to have that much energy or the will to fight back or change the course of the fight with some other strategies he just didn't seem to have it that night hopefully he's learned from that terrible performance against Usman and can muster up some courage to put on a great performance against Gilbert Burns and that's exactly what I expect a former champion like Woodley to do I expect him to take it to Burns to show him that he's the stronger striker that on the mat he can also be the better wrestler and I expect him to have the advantage in most aspects of the fight game and we know that Tyron Woodley has a great stamina because we've seen him go long in fights we've also seen him get some explosive knockouts so really anything is possible with Tyron Woodley and it'll be up to him to dictate the pace and how the fight goes and uh, his octagon positioning will have a lot to do with that and how confident he looks on the feet will really uh, show us fight fans where Woodley is as he stands now and looking forward into his career. And while Gilbert Burns is an up-and-coming fighter with great wins over Gunnar Nelson and Damian Maya, I can't overlook all the experience that Tyron Woodley has, having been guys like Stephen Thompson, also he beat Damian Maya, he beat Darren Till, Robbie Lawler, Kelvin Gastelum, he beat Carlos Condit. I mean, these guys are absolute legends in the sport and are definitely tougher opponents than Gilbert Burns. So by no means do I think that Burns is the toughest opponent that Woodley has ever faced. And I think his experience, his wrestling and striking fundamentals will prove too much for Gilbert Burns to withstand. And while Gilbert Burns can take a punch and he is capable of explosive knockouts himself, I don't see him having too much success against the more experienced Tyron Woodley. So I'm going to pick Tyron Woodley here to win. And I'm going to say he gets it by uh, 
fourth round TKO knockout. So we'll see how the fight goes. We'll see how long it lasts. But for now, my pick is Tyron Woodley by a fourth round TKO knockout. It should be an interesting and exciting fight. And make sure to tune in on May 30th for UFC Fight Night, Woodley versus Burns. And then make sure to check back next week for my next episode where I will preview UFC 250. And in the main event, we have perhaps the greatest women's fighter to ever grace the octagon in Amanda Nunes taking on a Canadian challenger in Felicia Spencer. Of course, Nunes is a big favorite in that fight, and I will be picking Nunes to win that fight, but check in next week for my uh, preview of UFC 250. But for now, that concludes episode number 11 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron. Kobe forever, Mamba forever. We're going to get through this virus together. We're going to beat it. Just stay home, stay safe, continue to practice social distancing, wear that mask, and we're going to get through this. Thank goodness we have a great fight card to look forward this weekend on May 30th. So tune into that. And then, of course, do not forget the next weekend, we have another great fight card, UFC 250. So please tune in to my next episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you all soon. Oh, and just one last uh, bookkeeping note before I sign off here. I actually got it wrong, uh, the bantamweight title. It appears that uh, it has been announced that Peter Yan will be taking on Jose Aldo for the undisputed 135 bantamweight title. No word yet on when exactly that date will be, but just another fight to look forward to. Again, thank you so much for listening, and check back next week for my uh, preview of UFC 250. Stay safe, everyone, and I hope everyone enjoys this weekend's fights. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.